How many of you uh, plan to uh, be on a diet Thursday? Okay, just checking. How many of you uh, plan on fasting Thursday? How many of you, if you raised your hand that you were, would be lying? That's what I figured. How many plan to overeat? How many will, but you don't plan on it? There you go. I got all of you. Some of you wouldn't move in church if your life depended on it, you know? <laughs> Nothing. At any rate, uh, the bake sale. Anybody notice pies and cakes and whatever else out there? First service slammed them, but there are three out there. One, the, a pie that is a fried apple pie that uh, I made. It uh, is a lattice, uh, has uh, apples, uh, Granny Smith apples, and then uh, Washington apples in it with the caramel sauce that's on it, the uh, crisp that's around it, of course. The uh, dough that make the lattice is out of 100% all-purpose flour, a little bit of this is yard tongue, not, not margarine. It's got plain old lard mixed into that 100%, which really makes it turn to a beautiful, beautiful cover, a little salt in there, put a little cold water, ice cold water. You got to know what you're doing when you do these things. And so I put all that together, pulled that pie out last night about 10 o'clock and lovingly let it just rest. I mean, just rest. And about midnight, I took it and gently slid it into the refrigerator and where it could just kind of cool down. So it's out there for whoever would like to give the most money for it. And then my son, Tim, made a blueberry, a lemon blueberry cake all on his own. He said, all by myself. He's got, uh, he's got uh, the lemon wedges on it that he, I, I think he cooked in, in margarine and brown sugar on the top. It is a winner. And then Dan, of course, partnered uh, with a local um, baker here in town and uh, to produce his cake uh, that's there. And I said, you know, I made mine, Tim made his. You know, what did you do to contribute to making yours? He said, here's what I did. That's what it was, but it's a great cake, and it's out there. All the funds go, of course, to, to women's ministries and the annual women's event. But one of the things that they do last year, they sent 14 or 15 uh, individuals, young girls, out of the Sidewalk Sunday School program who've never been to a youth camp in their life. They've never had that culture at all. And they sent them, and I can't tell you, that impact, upon those young women just was remarkable, made a difference in their lives, and that's part of what they do. So when you buy a cake or a pie or a cupcake, whatever it is that they have out there, you're, you're giving to a reason. It's not just to get the pie or just to get the cake. or the, It's about supporting a ministry that is touching the lives of uh, individuals. So we want you to be a part of it. And uh, just go out there and take a look and see what we've got. So let me encourage you, turn to uh, Proverbs 17, 17. And this is what it says. A friend loves at all times. Let me reread it. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. <clears throat> How many of you have a close, close, close friend? May I see your hand? Close friend. How many of you, and I want you to help me out now, some of you old 
stove up people. Get in the game here. How many of you have, have at least three absolute tell them anything, stick with you? You have at least three close friends like that. May I see your hand? Now listen, if you go beyond three, you're an unusual individual. The reality of the stats that when it is fleshed out, few people have more than one absolutely would give their life to keep a secret with you to encourage you just one. Well, we know the Bible says that we have a friend that sticks closer than a what? Than a brother. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. A British uh, publication uh, offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Here it goes. It uh, was, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. That person steps in your life when the whole world simply steps out. We're told in the Scripture to love one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I love you. If you're married to them, don't say think. Okay, I think I love you. It's good. We're supposed to love our family. Amen. Uh, we're supposed to love our spouse. Supposed to lo- we love our church. Say amen. We love our church. We love the pastor. That was a little weak, so I'll say it again. I said we do love the pastor. Thank you so very much. Sometimes you have to work it up. Little boy was in church, a little cartoon, and, uh, and uh, here's the caption that was there. He's sitting with his mom and dad in church. And uh, he turns to his father and he said, Mom wants to cook dinner. You want to go play golf and I want to get out of here to go play football. Tell me why we are here. Well, you could tell a little brat hadn't been taught what it means to be respectful in church, to love church and to love worship, but he was probably telling the truth more than anyone could realize. We know that it is Thanksgiving this coming Thursday. Some of you already have your plans. You're going to go with family, some of the family you like, some of the family you just tolerate. And so it's a big old day, and we're getting ready for it. But I thought in the message today we'd talk about friendships and fellowship and what it means to understand that value that comes with friendship and, uh, in fact, fellowship. Leonard Stein, who's a professor of epidemiology at the University of California in Berkeley, indicates the importance of social ties having a connection with other people, and having a social support system in relationships as it relates to mortality and disease. And this is what he found. He said, for example, in Japan, Japan is known as the most healthy country in the world. And the reason is in his study, he says they have a close social culture. They have traditional ties. They understand the value of of family, and they understand the pecking order in family as it relates to respect. He said, as a relate of that, their moral ties, their relationship to their family, it causes them to have a better health system and a better grade as it relates to individuals (coughs) who are emotionally stable. He said in the study, however, Those people that have few friends, if any, those people that do not socialize, those people that are withdrawn are individuals that have a higher death rate and seem to be sick all of the time. So I'm going to talk just a moment 
to encourage us as a church, and that is the value of friendship. The value of friendship, and the one I want to give you the illustration, is Jonathan and David. Jonathan was King Saul. All of you know that King Saul was the first king of Israel. You knew that, didn't you? I knew that you did. Why did did Saul become king? Because the Israelites saw the other countries and said, other countries have kings. We don't have one. We want a king. And God's word and response was, I am your king. I am the head of you people But they, of course, got carried away in culture. We want a king. God said, okay, I'll give you a king. That means that you'll be led by man's wisdom and ingenuity. So they got Saul. You've read the story. He was a head taller than everybody else. Handsome dude, of course, and he led. But the problem was he had this this character that was not flawless. He had a flaw in his character, and he began to lead. He had a son. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan, of course, developed a relationship with David. David came from the house of Jesse. That is important in the DNA of God's people. But also, you know that David was nothing more than a shepherd boy. He kept sheep. How do you take the son of a king and you put a shepherd boy, but some way or another, because God ordained it, they became close, close friends. And here's what the Bible said in 1 Samuel 20. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan said, my friendship with you, David, is a strong tie that will only be broken by death. David, I will put my life on the line. I will stand before my father and take a beating and chastisement but I desire to remain and be your friend. You see, friends come in when the chips are down in your life or when someone falls, they don't kick you down anymore. Just as what Jesus said about friendship, he said, I'm going to be a friend to sinners. In other words, I'm taking the worst of the worst and I'm setting myself up for disappointment, for heartbreak, but I'm going to be the friend of sinners. And then he acted that out when the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she came forward, and everybody else is going to stone her, and rightly so by the law. And Jesus said, hey, everybody out there, listen to me. Look this way. All of you have stones or rocks in your hands. But he said, I want you to know I value this woman right here. And any of you that's not sin, any of you that's, uh, that is not guilty in any way, you go ahead and throw your stone over here. But if you're not, I want you to walk away. And in that moment, Jesus saved her life because everyone dropped their stone and, in fact, walked away. You see, when people are down, they don't need to be kicked. They need to be lifted up, and they need to be loved. And you see, we don't fool ourselves. When when you have made a fool out of yourself, anybody out there ever done that? I've done it. I have to stand before people at least four times a week, and I do make mistakes. How many know that? Don't say amen. Thank you. I get in a car, the best sermons ever preached is the sermon Sharon gives me from time to time. And rightly so. That's what a good help meet does. Do you know that you said this? I said, I don't know what I say under the anointing. <laughs> it's all news to me. He said, well, this is what you said. Well, oh, Lord, may I never say it again before next week. 
Help me, Jesus. But you see, you know what a fool does or, or, or an individual, when you've made a fool out of yourself, they come in and they, don't, they make you feel like, hey, it's not a permanent job. It's not a per- you did, you, you've done it once, but hey, it's not permanent. And they pick you up. Dale Carnegie said, and I like this, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Think about it. Make more friends in two months being interested in them than spending two years trying to get them to be interested in you. Friends know the beauty of listening. They understand they forgive and they forget and they understand. Proverbs 12, 25 says, An anxious heart waits a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. In the early church, in the early church there was friendship But let me share with you, if you take a look at Acts 2, verse 42, the power of fellowship. How many of you love good fellowship? How many of you go out to dinner and you're the one always picking the tab up? It's probably why you don't fellowship much. How many have some friends that are just plain old cheap? There you go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, sharing with one another. There is a miraculous, a miraculous incident that takes place when there is unity in the family, when there is fellowship, and when there is, in fact, friendship. We enjoy that. And we know that in the local church, the local church needs to understand the power of friendship and the power of fellowship. Kindergarten class was asked to bring a symbol of their faith next week to the Sunday school class. And so in fact they did. One child came as a Muslim and the Muslim said, hey, this is my prayer rug. Another child came and said, hey, I'm a Jew. This is my symbol. It is the Star of David. A third child came and said, I'm Catholic, and this is my rosary. And a little Christian in the class came forward and said, I'm a Christian, and here's my casserole dish. (laughs) You see, the great theme of fellowship in the church today is meet and eat. Do you know that? I think about every meeting we have around here, somebody's bringing in some kind of food, and there's a whole lot of it out there today. Well, let me ask you, how important is friendship and fellowship in culture today? Do you know that loneliness is rampant? Yesterday, Sharon and I were in a restaurant. We were in uh, Akron, Ohio from Wednesday through yesterday afternoon after lunch. 
We got there, we got there Wednesday afternoon and went to the rental car company. We had reserved, I guess, a four-wheel drive uh, like Tahoe or Ford Explorer um, be, because it could get nasty weather. They said, we're out of those. Well, what do you have left? Well, you can wait an hour on that. Or we have what, it, what we call a family van out there. You can take that. I said, give me the family van. My Lord, I'm not waiting around here an hour. Well, wouldn't you know that Wednesday night it started sleeting and the roads iced up. It started snowing. I, I awakened on Thursday morning and looked out. I said, good Lord, have mercy. And then I looked down at that little family van with a front, front wheel drive. And I'm, I'm a Floridian. I was born and raised in this county. I am not used to ice. I am not used to snow. I'm not used to sleet. I don't know how to drive and that kind of stuff, but I had meetings that I had to go to. I said, Lord, you got to direct my path. I called my sister who's up in Michigan. She said, oh, by the way, Ray and I, that's her husband. She said, we spun out last night. I said, you did what? Yeah, we spun out last night. We just lost control and the car went around and around and around. I thought, I'm not telling Sharon that. <laughs> no way not telling her that as you understand the power of friendship and fellowship but we got back and we went to a restaurant yesterday afternoon barbecues right up here at the old uh at the old uh dairy queen by the way the owner of barbecues uh, up in uh, the old dairy queen and on 92 and in Dade City is an individual. His family comes to church here at Victory Church. A swell family might get down there and try it out. But there's a lady that ordered ahead of me. She paid. Her hand was shaking. She's probably 30. She sat in a booth by herself. And I watched her. Nobody there. I was finished. It doesn't, you know what? It's the deal for me if you sit down to eat, eat and get it over with. How I many you know what I'm talking about? I'm not one to sit there and chew a piece of anything for 33 and a half thousand times. It's like, okay, if I've got it to where I can swallow it, I'm ready to go. I'm sorry. I know that I'm weird. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's telling the truth. You see, but, but she sat there. And she wasn't eating much. I got up, took my deal back, and, and dumped it. And I, I looked, and she'd hardly touched a thing. And she had loneliness all over her face. I thought to myself, God, I said, how's your food? She looked up. It's okay. It's good. Massive as the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart, I thought, this young woman right here, I don't know what her past is. I don't know what she's facing now. But she needs a kind word. Can I tell you something? She represents far too many people in our culture that oftentimes are misguided or have been hurt, have been beat up, you can look at a person in this room and they may look good on the outside and be very nice and pleasant, but on the inside, breaking apart. And you know why? You will never know that. But it won't matter if you know it or not. 
if as a church family and as a culture that we build in our church, hey, doesn't matter. We want you to know you are welcome. We want to be your friend, and we want to fellowship with you. Amen? And everybody deserves that kind of love, especially when they come to church. Amen? Fellowship. Friendship provides the relationship that brings, get this, 90% of the people who come to church come out of a friendship. Somebody builds a fellowship with them and then develops friendship and say, hey, why don't you come go to church with me? And 90% of the time, it's because of that relationship. As a matter of fact, some of you or many of you are in small groups, and a good portion of the small group you didn't know until you got there. But since you've been fellowshipping together and eating together, now all those in your small groups are your friend. Some of you go on missions trips with us. And when we go, we take 50, 75, or 100. And you say, I didn't know a good portion of those on the missions trip. But, buddy, I spent a week eating and flying and on a bus and working hard and dining together. Now, they're all my friends, the majority. I didn't even know till I went on that trip. That's the beauty of bringing fellowship and friendship into the local body, and it matters. So let me encourage you as a congregation. You're going to go this Thursday, and you're going to have dinner with some of your family and some of your family you probably don't like. Well, Bible says that you're supposed to like every one of them. You're right. The Bible says love your neighbor, but he also says love your enemies. Amen? And how many of you know that there's some of your family that is hard to get along with? Usually on her I mean on his side of the family. Let me tell you what gets under my skin. All you people out there online, thousands of you, listen up. Having the dinner spread, working hard to get it on the table, baking the devil eggs, smoking or frying or baking the turkey, making all the dressing, making all the pies, making the corn casserole, the brown rice, making the broccoli casserole, making the fruit salad, making the hot buns and all the butter, making all those things and get them together. And some of the family, let me get out behind this pulpit. Some of the family come in, sit there, and they have to have sidebars on their plate. But buddy, they load it up. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Then they come back for seconds. And you're watching. You say, Pastor, you watch. Part of my gift is watching. And then it comes time to clean up. And they get, find the television, sit down, go outside. Some of my family goes outside. Some of them take a smoke. Go outside and start horseshoe, or start putting the bean bag in the deal. What do you call that? right out there and think, hey, I ate, I ate at least 10 pounds of food, but when it comes time to clean up, I don't know if you've got any lazy family members like I do or not, but there are some of them. And let me tell you, look at me carefully. You can take this to the bank. You used to could. It's not beyond me to say, hey, you ate, and it's time for you to come on back in. And let's start cleaning up. Pastor, you do that. If you think for one minute that I'm going to stand at a sink 
and go out to the barbecue grill and clean everything up and you're going to come to my house and you're going to eat and think that you're going to go out and absolutely do nothing friend you got another thought coming amen I call that coaching in Jesus name amen amen how many know what I'm talking about but those are family members that's 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 friendship that's friendship. Friendship doesn't just let you get by with everything you want to get by with. Friendship says, hey, dude, you ain't come on in here and get a part of the good cleanup team. You ladies ought to be saying amen. And if you got an old lousy husband that comes in and fills up his belly and then he doesn't want to hang around and help you clean up, my Lord, have mercy. Love him anyway. <laughs> he doth not know what he's doing. We are coming apart without relationships. We have so many things. How do you know when you enter your email address into your microwave and expecting it to crank up won't work? When you have 15 phone numbers for at least three members of your family, it doesn't work. When you text your family that dinner is ready. When you share several times a day with a stranger on Facebook, and other means of communication, but you haven't spoken to your neighbor in more than a year. Or you never leave your home without a cell phone that you didn't have a few years ago. Some people, their cell phone is more important to them than their spouse. You lose a cell phone, they're going to start tearing the place up to find it. Your spouse up comes up missing, or one of your kids... I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Sure, technology that's there. What does it mean to lose a sense of personal fellowship? The early church had fellowship that was important for a purpose. You see, Acts 2.42, as we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of breaking bread. I love you. Turn to your neighbor and say it. I love you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be a friend with you. I want to be an encourager of people. I want to do all that we can. 3 John 8 says, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men, to all men, so that we may work together for the truth. Proverbs 15, 23, A man finds joy in giving and apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Fellowship. If you have friendship and you have fellowship, that brings you to purpose. I read in one of the things in my study, a scientific study, showing that people without social and emotional support are more than twice as likely to die from a heart attack than with people who have caring friends. Think about it. More than twice likely to die of a heart attack if you don't have caring friends. You see, it may matter to you to say, I need to work on not being alone and not being an island unto myself. And when you find yourself criticizing everybody you know, guess who the person who's in the most trouble is? It's you. If no one, you, you look at people and you expect them to be perfect and respond in a perfect way because you're their friend, you're looking for a perfect friend. They're, 
there is no such thing. But when you give yourself away and you say, I want to be all that I can be to other individuals and my friends don't have to be perfect, you'll find yourself with plenty of friends out there. We live to touch the lives of lost people and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonathan and David and their friendship was extremely important. David gave Jonathan the direction that he needed, and Jonathan wholeheartedly followed that, even if it meant his own life would be threatened. So as we're here on the eve of Thanksgiving Day, the Bible says we're the salt of the earth, we're the light that's on a hill and should not perish, that we ought to let that light shine. You go to your family gatherings, why don't you go with the intent of saying, you know what, I'm going to try my best to compliment as many people as I can. I'm going to do my best to have a conversation and not be in such a rush with some member of the family that ordinarily I just can't stand. I'm going to give myself away to the degree that I want to serve other individuals. You know what you're doing? You're being the person of Jesus Christ. And when you have friends and you have fellowship and friendship, here's what happens. Every friend that I have outside the church, every friend that is not a churcher, every friend that I have that's a business person out there, I have friendship with them because of one thing. Eventually, I want them to be a part of the fellowship that I have in Jesus Christ. And that takes time. I can give you the names, many names of people that worship with us right now that started with a friendship, that little by little. I had a man the other day, I said, where do you go to church? Pastor Blackburn, you know, lowered the head. Well, I, I used to go so-and-so, and, and well, I don't know, and I'm, I'm church shopping right now. I reached up and hugged his neck. I said, I want to hug. I'm your new pastor. <laughs> Just letting you know I care for you. You're going to need me sooner or later. I want to be here for you. What am I saying to that individual? That my friendship and my fellowship has a purpose. It's not just so I could say you're my friend. It's, hey, I have a purpose. I want to encourage you to walk in Jesus Christ. I tell individuals, the males that I have friendship with, I text them often. Follow them sometime on Facebook and say, I want you to, I want you to behave like a man of God now. And I know good and well, I know good and well that they're involved or engaged in things that, that they shouldn't be and not kind of living the kind of committed life they should. But they ain't nothing like saying, hey, I want you to behave like a man of God to give them the shock treatment and say, you know what, I don't think Jesus would be doing some of the things I'm doing. I need to straighten up a little bit. Amen? In other words, you can work on that foul mouth a little bit. You can slow down on that beer and whiskey drinking a little bit. You can slow down on all that nasty talk sometime and begin to ha behave like a man of God. What am I doing? I want your friendship and your fellowship one, one reason. I want you to know Jesus. And I want to love you into the kingdom of God. Is that too hard for any of us to do? Is it? No, I don't think it is. I think it's extremely important for us to remember that. Would you stand? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? Amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning.
for your grace. I thank you for all the benefits and blessing. Now, none of us in this room are perfect, not one of us. We may tout that we're the closest being that has ever lived to Jesus Christ. But God, you know our heart. You know those thoughts that come in that no one else knows about. And God, you know what's deep in our heart, and we're asking you today to forgive us. But none of us have anything that we can boast about. The Apostle Paul said, if I boast, I'm not going to boast about me. I want to boast about what God has done in my life. So here we stand, pilgrims that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we stand at the foot of the cross equal No super, super spiritual people. No people just coming to the kingdom of God. We're all here because we all want to be followers. We want to do our best. And God, if we put forth a willful effort to build friendships, we're going to have friends. And if we want friends, we're going to have to be friendly. And if we want fellowship, we're going to have to create that fellowship. God, I pray that that would take place. Some people in this room right now have reached that stage in their life that the greatest value of contributing to the kingdom of God is right now in their lives. God, let them turn on. As they look in their life and as they have lived their life, let them look and say, is my path behind me just filled with people that I know love me and respect me? Do I have individuals, God, who they want to live the way that I've lived. Let that be so in a way that is pleasing to Jesus. And then there may be some in this room right now or listening online whose heart's not right with God. They missed the mark. They've been playing around with sinful death. They've not been behaving the way that they should. And oh, yeah, if you were to ask them, are you a Christian? They say, sure. But God, your word says that you know the followers by the fruit they bear. And God, a tree can't one day bear good fruit and the next day bear bitter fruit and rotten fruit. If they are following after you, that tree is good fruit. It's fruit that's pleasing to Heavenly Father. And if it's one day one way and one day the other, we need to make a new commitment, a fresh commitment to being a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. That means saying no to ourselves and some of our nasty behavior. Put it under the blood and deny it. Step on it. Don't let it breathe. And then give the rest to Jesus. Watch him. So God, for all of us to feel pure today, sincerely in our heart, we say this prayer. Would you repeat this prayer, everyone? Dear Lord Jesus, Jesus. forgive me today. Of all my sins, I have messed things up. I have deliberately sinned, and I'm asking you for forgiveness. Come into my heart. Reveal to me your perfect plan. I believe by faith. As I confess my sins, I am now forgiven. Take my hand and use me as you choose. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. Felt good to get that under the blood, didn't it? Let me encourage you, if you need healing, if you need a touch of God, you need to stand in for someone, or you prayed that prayer, and you said, Lord Jesus, I'm sincere about that. Come and have agreement with somebody in this altar. Let God do something for you. 
Do you know the only thing that will keep you in your seat if you're hearing a voice to encourage you to come is the devil and the power of pride? So let me encourage you, just, just let go and be obedient to Jesus in this moment as we come together and as we sing. Stick with me. I'll give the benediction in just a moment. Here we go, everybody. Don't forget to go out and take a look at the bake sale. Don't forget tonight I'll talk about the supernatural power. The enemy has supernatural power. I've seen it in demonically possessed people. I've experienced deliverance. I've seen the acts of darkness, how the enemy can come in with his influence and power and take a family and create division and to steal away the intimacy and the love that happened to be in the hearts at one time. But I've also witnessed God come in and bring healing and restoration. Tonight I wanna to talk about how God is able to do that. So I pray you'll plan to be here and then Wednesday night, one hour communion. We give thanks to God, take our time and say, Lord Jesus, we love you and we appreciate you. So would you do, I'd love to meet some of you personally in the hospitality suite right off the lobby. Heavenly Father, bless now. We commit this service to you. We commit this day to you. We commit this wonderful, wonderful congregation to you. God, I pray that you would energize us with fresh anointing and fresh fire. I pray in the name of the Lord that as we storm into Thanksgiving and we meet with families, we'll be a missionary and evangelist there, not only to come and fellowship and eat together, but in some way or another, share the good news of Christ. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to somebody and say, you look nice today.